Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Oh, you're right. I'm not. I'm not. He said I'm not wearing a hat tonight. He's right. Not sure where it's at. I guess I got to find it. Man, um, the atmosphere in the room is different tonight. Has anyone else recognized that? Like, in fact, I've kind of got like I've got, I kind of got chicken skin. That's what we call it in Hawaii. You may call it goosebumps. Have you ever had goosebumps? I've, I've got I've got goosebumps, chicken skin tonight. It's 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 incredible. Um, I mean, you guys are you're already out of control. You know how I know that you're out of control because there was there was more worship in the room tonight. Like just just pure worship. I mean, I, I, after the the second song, I, the, the tacos started doing the third song, and, and I saw some some young people like get out from from where they were sitting on the concrete, and they they jumped up on the the chairs, and so so some of you were sitting, and, and I saw your eyes closed, and I could tell that you were just concentrating on focusing on the Lord. At least that's that's what I think that you were doing. Maybe you were falling asleep, but 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 I just sensed a different. Spirit in the room. Did anyone else sense that? And, and, and here's why I think it's different. Because, you know, we've, we've talked about some heavy stuff this week, haven't we? And, and I think some of the stories that we've talked about and, and some of the scripture that we've shared uh, with, with, with uh, one another and some of the conversations that you've had with your counselors and other staff here at the ranch, but some of it has brought a lot of the hurt and pain in your own life to the surface. Would you agree with that? But how many of you let some of that go last night? Just raise your hand if you, if you would say, yeah, I let some of that go last night. Maybe not everything yet, but I let, I let as much as I could go last night. You can put your hands down. You, you know why the, the atmosphere feels a little bit different tonight? Because it's impossible to worry about what you can't control and worship God at the same time. It's impossible. You cannot worry and worship at the same time. And when you let your worries, when you give those things to the Lord, to his control, guess what? Your heart is free to do what? To worship. Your heart free is free to, to just lift your hands and sing, this we know, we will see the victory come. Your love is unfailing. And, and you know, tonight I want to ask you a question. How do we live out of control? Thank you, Taco. How do we live out of control? Because it, it is a journey. If, if you gave your life to Christ last night, maybe you've given your life to Christ before, and, 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 and your eternity is sealed, and, and you're going to be with him forever. Maybe you, you've done that uh, before, uh, but maybe last night is when you placed your faith in Christ. Whatever the case, we still live in a fallen kingdom, don't we? Like, things are still hard. You're still going to go back home, and you're still going to have the same parents. You're still going to have the same annoying brothers and sisters, you're still going to have them. They're going to be there. The difference is how you're going to respond to them. And hopefully, you're not going to respond to them emotionally. You're not going to respond to them um, 
in your own fleshly desire, but you're going to respond to them in a way that Jesus would respond to them because Jesus is now what? In control of your life. All right. So how do we how do we do that? Um, I want to remind you of something that Jesus said. Uh, we, we mentioned it several times last night, but it's up here on the screen. Lose your life and you will find it. Everyone say that out loud. Lose your life and you will find it. What does that mean? I want to give you an illustration. My wife and I, we were uh, living in Hawaii after we got married for almost five years. It was like an extended honeymoon. I mean, working in Hawaii is basically like being on vacation because it's just awesome. You don't really think that you're at work when you're at work. You're just, you're doing your thing, you know, at lunch, you take a break and you go surfing for an hour and then you come back, you you do your thing and then you go home and you surf a little bit and you you you, you grill fresh fish, you know, that, that your neighbor caught for you out in the bay. You, you grill it up and you, you have a great evening and you just do that all over again. We, we did that for five years, and it was awesome. I mean, being a youth pastor in Hawaii is it's it's it's, it's pretty easy in so, in some ways because there's not a whole lot of planning involved. You just kind of call everybody up, call all the parents, and hey, we're gonna we're gonna be at the beach tomorrow, and everybody shows up at the beach, and that's what you do. Or hey, we're gonna go up to the mount to, to the volcano Haleakala and, and and camp out on the mountain, and that, that and that's what you do. That it, it was it was a lot of fun being a youth pastor in Hawaii, but after about four and a half years, my wife and I, we uh, both felt that the Lord was uh, leaving or leading us off of the island and to come back to the mainland, and it's not something that we particularly wanted to do. We loved living in Hawaii. I mean, it's Hawaii, right? We were, we were, and we were on the island of Maui, which is amazing. I mean, Maui is gorgeous. It literally is like paradise. It's beautiful. And so we started praying. We just said, Lord, we're, we're starting to sense some restlessness and maybe that you're, you're leading us away from this ministry and this, this island, but we don't know where. Where, where should we go? And I want to encourage you to, to live your life out of control. You got to start having these kinds of converse, conversations with God. Like just talk to him. Talk to God like you would talk to your counselor, all right? Ask him questions because he'll answer. You may not hear him audibly. In fact, you probably won't. It's possible, but you probably won't. You've got to learn to listen to his still, small voice and direction, all right? And we won't be able to get into all of the details of that tonight, but, but hopefully I want to I'll illustrate it for you a little bit. So Martha and I, we started praying, and, and what I do, I journal my prayers. So any, anytime I have a conversation with God, I write it down. If I'm reading scripture and, and I sense God tells me to stop and read it again, I'll just read it again. And I'll keep reading it, and, and I'll write that down, and, and I'll ask God, is there something that you want me to learn from this? Because every time I read it, my heart just kind of pauses there. Is this you, or is this the spaghetti I ate last night, you know, and I just, I ask God those kinds of questions, and I, and I wait for him to answer, okay, and after about a month, uh, I had written in my journal the word Philadelphia. I didn't know anybody from Philadelphia. Um, I didn't, uh, I didn't, you know, know of any work opportunities in Philadelphia. I just, just wrote the word down. Went to Martha about a week later and said, hey, like, Here's here's a word. Here's a city that I've written and I've been praying about for the last week. It's Philadelphia, and she said, "Well, that's interesting because I wrote the same thing down in my journal." 
So we thought, okay, maybe God's leading us to the Philadelphia area. So we started praying about that, and we decided, okay, yeah, that's where, that's where we're going to go. So I resigned my youth pastorate. I told my pastor, and we kind of created a six-month uh, secession plan for me to move out of my position as a youth pastor to train somebody else to come in, and then Martha and I would would move off the island and uh, move to Philadelphia. But things weren't going so well for us once we, once we decided that that was the direction that God was moving us in. The, the, the fi- finances that we had saved up, um, a situation happened, and we didn't have any more money. And just one thing after another was deterring us from moving to Philadelphia. So we went to our pastor about two months before our planned moving date, and he said, well, you know what? Maybe you should just wait. Maybe this isn't the right timing. Maybe this is God just showing you that you should stay here for a little while longer. Of course, that's what he wanted me to do. He wanted me to stay a little while longer. I mean, he loved our family, and uh, he, 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 we, we had a great relationship, loved working together. But um, I, said, I said, no, man, I just, we really feel like this is the direction that God is leading us. And uh, he said, okay, well, if you feel that this is the direction that God is leading you, just keep praying and ask for God's direction. So one day after uh, leaving the office, I was, I was a little discouraged because I still hadn't heard clearly from the Lord how we were going to fund this move from Maui to, uh, to Philadelphia. Um, I mean, we're, we, we had two vehicles. It costs a lot of money to ship vehicles from Hawaii to the mainland. We just weren't quite sure what we were going to do. So I was driving home, and I had this, uh, this, this feeling that I should turn right. And I was like, God, are you, are you telling me to turn my vehicle right? Yes. Did I just tell myself yes? Or God, are, are, you, are you communicating to me right now? I sensed that I should turn right, so I turned right. Drove down this path that I didn't, I wasn't familiar with, and I, and I sensed that I should turn left. So I'm like, this is getting ridiculous. Am I talking to myself? Am I like psyching myself out here? Should I, should I, should I keep on doing this? I'm supposed to be home, I turn left. This, this went on for about an hour. Turn right, turn left, turn right, turn right. So I'm just like, okay, whatever. I'm, just, I'm doing this thing now. I get up to this clearing, and, and I sense that I should stop. So I pulled off the side of the road, and I stopped, and I said, what do you want me to do now? Get out of the car. So I get out of the car. I walk into the middle of this field, and I see these A-frame cabins. I had never been to this place before in Hawaii, but as I was walking around, I learned that it was an old Boy Scout camp. And I thought, oh, wow, this is cool. So I was checking it out. I looked at the mess hall, and I looked at the, the pavilion that they had. And they had a nice playing field, and there's a cliff overlooking the ocean. And I thought, wow, this would be a really fun camp. And when I was walking around the camp, you know what I remembered? You know what I thought of when I was walking around the camp? What's that? I thought of River Valley Ranch. When I was walking around this camp, I thought about when I was 17 years old, and I came to River Valley Ranch for the first time. And for the first time, I really learned how to trust Jesus. 
And some people still ask me, why do you think God had you, you know, do these left and right and left and right turns? I honestly think it's because God just wanted to know if I was going to trust him. And that's what living out of control really is about. It's, it's about aligning your heart with the word of God, being in constant communication with God, and then just, and then just trusting him. So I was like, God, are you, are you still going to tell me, like, are you going to, are you going to tell me how we're going to fund this? And the answer was no, I'm not. I said, should we move from, from here to Philadelphia? And the answer was yes. So I drove back home and told Martha what had happened. And she said, well, what do you think it means? And I said, I, I think it means that we just have to trust God one step at a time. Raise your hand if you would love to know all the details of your life, right? Wouldn't that be fun? Like, wouldn't that be cool? We think it would be cool. But that's not how God works. Because if God were to tell you all the details of your life, you would be what? in control. But he doesn't want you to be in control. He wants to be in control. And not only that, he wants to have a relationship with you. When we walk hand in hand with God, when we lose our life, when we say, God, this doesn't make any sense. You want me to turn left when, when I, or right when I know that left is the way home. And I'm just leaving the office and I need to go home. And let me tell you, when you trust Jesus with your life, there are going to be some things that he asks you to do that just won't make sense. And maybe your, your parents won't necessarily understand. I mean, may, maybe you're, you're, you're going to graduate high school and say, Mom, I really sense that, that God is leading me into ministry. And your parents are going to be like, you know what? You're not going to be able to provide for your family with a ministry job. But let me tell you, it's true. I can't provide for my family with a ministry job. But you know who provides for my family? God does. When Martha, when CJ died, what I didn't tell you was that I resigned the pastorate that I was pastoring in Philadelphia to move to Texas to help my sister-in-law out. And we, we stayed there for two and a half years. And for two and a half years, I worked three jobs. I was an umpire. I umpired baseball. I worked part-time for a company, or full-time for a company called Boosterthon, and I worked part-time for a church as their discipleship pastor in South Dallas. Combined that year with my umpiring Boosterthon and the church job, guess how much money I made that entire year? Combined with all three of those jobs. Somebody take a wild guess. <laughs> $100,000. That's hilarious. Nope, more than 10. Close. $22,000. 22. Four kids, wife, family of six. Now, you, you guys are middle school and high schoolers. Counselors, can you survive? Can you survive, counselors, off of twenty-two thousand a year, right? Without without any student loans, without any parental help, no. Twenty-two thousand dollars, man. At the end of the first year there, um, my wife and I, we we looked at our furniture because we had, we had a fully furnished four-bedroom house. We looked at the furniture. And we hadn't furnished any of it ourselves. It was all given to us. 
And it was nice furniture. We looked at our washer and dryer. That was given to us. Our refrigerator was given to us. And we combined all of those things together. It was well over $40,000 of things that we hadn't purchased ourselves. Did people give those things to us? Yeah. But who orchestrated all of that? Who do you think orchestrated all of that? God did. You know, God wants a relationship with you, and he wants you to learn to trust him with your life. And even a kid can do this. I remember one time, my son, Elisha, he must have been six or seven. When we, when we moved to Texas, there was a family in the church that my sister-in-law went to who wanted to pay for my children to go to this private school. And this, this private school cost a fortune to go to. We could not have afforded to send our kids there. But this family paid to send them there. And uh, but, but what they didn't pay for was like all the, the uniforms and the special shoes that they had to have and the backpacks. And the Lord provided that too. But about halfway through the school year, um, we, Elisha's shoes had like holes in them. We had duct taped them multiple times. And his teachers kept sending us notes home. Hey, Elisha really needs new shoes. And we're like, we know he does. But we don't have any money to buy him new shoes. So Elisha comes home and, and he sits at the, the kitchen table. And he looks at Martha and I. And he said, he said, Dad, I know you're too poor to buy me shoes but I really need some new shoes. Do you think I can get a job to buy me some shoes? And I said, you know, you know how humbling that is as a parent? I mean, it is just heartbreaking. And I was like, I said, you know what? No, you're not going to get a job. Um, if I have to, I'll, 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 get, I'll, do, I'll figure it out. But we're going to get you some new shoes. I said, but what you can do is you can ask God to provide us some money for you to buy some new shoes for school on Monday. He said, well, can you pray for me? I said, no, uh, these, this is for you. You have a relationship with Jesus. You've trusted him as your savior. You can ask him for what you need, and he will provide it for you. So we, we, we sat down at the table together, and he said, dear Jesus, uh, I know that, that my, my dad is so poor. He can't buy me shoes, but you are so rich, and you can buy me shoes. Please give us money to buy me shoes. This is like a seven-year-old prayer. And uh, Martha and I, we're just, we're just sitting there like, okay, great. He, he prayed. He's trusting the Lord. Uh, the next day, Elisha comes home from school, and I said, hey, go check the mail. He went. He checked the mail. He brings it in. And there was this letter from the church that I had left in Hawaii. I hadn't heard from them in, in years. And we opened it up, and there was a check for $100. And there was a note that said, hey, we were just thinking about you this week and thought we'd send you a check just to say hello and we miss you. So Elisha said, he said, dad, this, this is for you. I said, no, 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 this money is for you. So we went to the mall. He bought two pairs of shoes, not one, two pairs of shoes. Does God answer prayer? Yes, he does. But he, he wants you to trust him. He wants you to talk to him. Does he always answer prayer that like that and that immediately? No, he doesn't. But for a seven-year-old, man, do you think Elisha will ever forget that moment? No. We have many moments like that 
in that year. And that was an out-of-control year for us. Those two years that we were in Texas were some of the hardest years of our lives, but God provided for us every step of the way. So so how do we live out of control? That's the question that I want to answer in the next five minutes. I want to read uh, this uh, scripture to you. Luke 19, look at this. Zacchaeus, he was a man that wanted to see who Jesus was, but he was a short man, kind of like me. He couldn't see who Jesus was because of the crowd. Last night, many of you said, I'm a sinner. I know I need a savior. Jesus is my savior. I want Jesus to be my savior. And you trusted your life to Jesus. A lot of you did that last night, right? Did some of you do that last night? You trusted Christ as your savior last night? If you trusted Christ last night, just raise your hand because we're going to celebrate you. Hey, let's celebrate. The- wow. Wow. Are you serious? You trusted Christ? Like, that's a lot of you. That's incredible. Man, the angels were having a party in heaven last night. Man, that's worth celebrating. That's exciting. And and some of you still haven't made that decision. And and, and maybe, maybe there's an obstacle that's still in your way. You can't see Jesus because of the crowd. And, you know, even after you you know Jesus, there are going to be moments like when Martha and I were trying to decide whether or not to move from Hawaii where we couldn't exactly see what Jesus was doing. We couldn't exactly see uh, how he was going to do it. And we still had to trust him. There's going to be obstacles like that all along the way. Just nod your head if you understand that. Just nod your heads with me, okay? There's going to be resistance. There's going to be obstacles. There's going to be pain, but it's totally worth it. Keep reading with me. Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was. I love that. I love this. Like Even when Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus, Jesus knew exactly where Zacchaeus was. Just because you can't see Jesus, just because you can't feel Jesus, just because you don't know what Jesus is doing in your life right now, you can know that Jesus knows exactly where you are. Jesus knew exactly where Zacchaeus was. He looked up at Zacchaeus and he was like, dude, come down because I was planning on going to your house. You're supposed to have dinner ready for me, man. Get, get out of the tree. Let's go to your house. So look what Zacchaeus did. He came down at once, and he welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this. They didn't like it. They began to whisper. You see, when you start following Jesus, people are going to talk behind your back. When you start following Jesus, you may lose some friends. You may. When you start following Jesus... You may still experience some painful moments, but look what happened. They said, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And and I think there's a few things that we can learn about how to live out of control from from these verses. First is, is I, I want you to see this. Jesus doesn't want to be your celebrity, okay? He doesn't want you to be standing in a tree waving at him saying, I want to touch him. I want to touch Jesus. Just give, like, give me your autograph, Jesus. That's not what Jesus wants. That's not the kind of relationship Jesus wants with you, from you, for you. Jesus doesn't want you to go into church and, and do nothing. You, you weren't saved to sit in a church pew or in a church seat. You weren't saved to sit on your your rump all day. You were saved to serve. Everybody say that. I am saved to serve. Your life is for service. 
Jesus doesn't want to be your celebrity. He doesn't want you to wave to him at a distance. He wants to be with you in a relationship with you. He wants to be your friend. Take a look at this picture. This is my son, Elisha. Uh, a couple months ago, we were building a new fence um, along the side of my house because I have a pit bull who literally ate my other fence. So, so we're building a new fence. And, and one morning I woke up, I said, Elisha, come on outside with me. Put your shoes on. I want you to help me. So Elisha comes out and he sits on the porch. I'm like, I'm like I waved to him. I had headphones on. I waved to him. And, and you know what he did? He waved back. And I was like, I go. And he goes, oh, and he goes inside. And I'm like, what's he going inside? He comes out with a glass of lemonade. Here you go. <laughs> Drink the lemonade. Thank you. He's sitting on the porch. I'm like, he's like, do you want more lemonade? No. What, what did I want? I, want? I wanted him to come help me. So I, I said, dude, come help me now. So he comes out, he helps, and he's, man, he's having a rough time. And I said, listen, man, I want you to choose to have a good attitude because we're going to have fun. We're going we're to accomplish some great things today. Well, what we discovered is that when we lifted all the old 4x4 posts out of the ground, uh, they, were, they were rotted at the base, so all the concrete tubes were still in the ground. There's like three feet of concrete in the ground. So Elisha and I had to literally dig out all of these concrete tubes, and it was grueling. It was absolutely horrific. But Elisha came, out with, came up with this great idea. I'm sitting there. I'm, I've got this, like, garden shovel on my belly, digging out the, the dirt around the, the concrete, trying to jostle it a little bit. And Elisha runs into the garage. He grabs a farm jack. Do you know what a farm jack looks like? It's like this really tall jack, and, and it's got a lever on one end, and you can crank it up. And so he brings it out and he said, hey, what if we find a chain and we wrap it around that concrete tube and we just start cranking that thing? And I said, you know what? That's a really great idea. So I wrapped it around the rock and put it over the hook on the farm jack. And I said, okay, I want you to push on this end so you know, create some tension. So as I was cranking it, he was leaning his body and we got the whole tube out of the ground. When we got that tube out of the ground, how do you think he felt? Oh, he was excited. He was pumped up. He comes running over to me. He gives me a big hug. We high five. We fist bump. And he goes, can we take a break now? <laughs> we had a great time together. But we had a great time together. We had a great time together. Jesus wants to have a great time together with you. He doesn't want you to sit on the porch waving to him. He doesn't want you to bring him lemonade like he needs you to help him out. He, he doesn't need you to help him out. He wants you to help him out. He wants to be your friend. Do you know that Jesus wants to be your friend? All right, here's another one. Jesus shows us how to love people without limits. You know, nobody else was seeking Zacchaeus out. Nobody else was running to the tree. Nobody else said, hey, Zacchaeus, I want to hang out at your house. Nobody else was saying, hey, Zacchaeus, I want to play video games with you. Nobody else was like, hey, Zacchaeus, let's have a barbecue in your backyard with your family. Nobody else. Who was the only one? Jesus. So if you're going to live your life out of control, you know how you should treat people? Like Jesus. 
You should treat people exactly like Jesus. You should love people without limits, without boundaries, unconditionally. You should love people that are different than you. You should pursue people that are different from you. You should love people that nobody else wants to love. You should love people that are hard to love. Raise your hands if you've got a mom or dad that's hard to love. Yeah, Jesus calls you to love them without what? Without limits. That's what it means to live out of control. Jesus is living out of control because he loves you. He's in his father's control, and now he wants us to be in his control. This, this is another picture from The Greatest Showman. Um, I, one of the things I love about this movie was that Hugh Jackman um, or Barnum, he intentionally chose the people that nobody else wanted. Like, isn't that cool? I think that's cool because I was one of those people. You know, I was one of the students in high school. I, I had friends, but all my teachers wrote me off. I was the bad kid. I was the kid that was never going to amount to anything. I was the kid that wasn't going to go to college. I was the kid that was going to end up in jail somewhere. That, that's what all my teachers thought about me. But there was one teacher who believed in me. And there was one youth pastor who believed in me. Even when I gave him every reason not to, he still believed in me. My parents believed in me. Ultimately, Jesus believed in me. Do you believe the best about people? Sometimes we look at, at, at people, maybe even in your, in, in your roommate, in your room this week. You look at people, and you already make judgments about them, right? The only judgment Jesus made about you was that you needed him. What if, what if we look at someone, and the only judgment we're making about them is that they need us? They need our love. They need our acceptance. They need our approval. They need our encouragement. They need our help. What if we treated people that way? What if we loved people that way? Here's another thing. Jesus didn't care about being popular. People were whispering you know, behind his back. They were definitely critics. Jesus wasn't winning any popularity contests. But Jesus cared about people. Here's something that will change your life. If you just get this through your heads, people matter. Everyone say that. People matter. Look at your friend, even though you're yawning, look at your friend and say, you matter. No, no, like, like take that finger, take that finger, look him in the eyes. Say, you matter. All right, now look back up here. Thank you. You matter, man. Like you matter. We matter. People matter. Maybe you know the, the, the artist Andy uh, Minio. Anyone, anyone heard of him, Minio? One of my favorite, he's one of my favorite rappers. Any, any, anybody in here like rap music? Rap? Andy Minio is one of my favorites. Listen, 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 listen. This is important. He came out with a song recently that just kind of crushed me. Absolutely crushed me. And in a moment, because you know, you know about my life a little bit, you know about my girls. I want I want you to see this video, and I think you're going to understand why this video crushed my heart. Um, I want you to pay attention to it, and, and, and we'll break it down a little bit. Watch this video. 
25 years to get it, but eventually he realized that the people in his life mattered. And if that video wasn't enough, check this one out. Wow, and that beat awesome. 25 years later. That's Andy Minio's deaf sister hearing or watching the video that he created for her. That changed her life. You know, it's never too late to say you're sorry. Never too late to ask for forgiveness. It's never too late to make things right with your parents. It's never too late to make things right with a friend who hurt you or a friend that you hurt 
in school. It's never too late. Jesus didn't care about popularity or getting ahead in life. He just cared about people. You've got to know that what you do impacts people. Jesus knew that. And he wasn't going to let anything deter him uh, from changing people's lives. And what's cool about letting Jesus have control of your life is that you get an opportunity to literally change people's lives through the power of Jesus that's at work in you. I mean, that's a pretty cool moment between Andy and his sister. But think about the cool moments that God could orchestrate between you and someone else, maybe even a stranger. I, I listened to this song and I thought about my family. There's a picture up on the screen. And we're, man, we're, we're a crazy bunch. This was taken on Father's Day. And we went to a Chick-fil-A. I was with my girls. And Emma, Emma's completely deaf. She doesn't even use cochlear implants. So she doesn't, she can't hear a thing. And she, you know, she's culturally deaf. So she makes a lot of funny noises. And a lot of her noises sound like grunts. And they're, they're, they can easily be made fun of. Well, we show up at this Chick-fil-A, and Aria and Adley, they want to go to, uh, and Emma, they want to go to the, that play area. And so I'm trying to order the food, and Emma's trying to get my attention, and she goes, nah, 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 nah. That's, that's, that's dad in, in Emma's, is uh, uh, how she can say it. And there are two kids sitting at another table, and they started going, and I go, where's their mom or dad? And I start walking toward the table to say something to them. And my nine-year-old daughter, Aria, she sees me, and she sees the look on my face. And she, she taps me on the shoulder, and she said, she said, Dad, don't be mad. Don't be mad. I'm going to be their friend. And so the kid, he looks at me, he said, what'd she say? And I said, she says she wants to be your friend. He melted. He, he, this, he, he must have been 10 years old. He was crying in a Chick-fil-A. His mom shows up, and she said, she said, what's wrong? And I said, my daughter says she wanted to be your son's friend, and he just started crying. <laughs> And so I explained to her what had happened. She, of course, felt incredibly embarrassed. But those two, her two sons and my children, they ended up playing together in the play area while we were eating and having a good conversation. But what I, what I learned from that is that, like, everybody needs grace. And everybody needs a friend. And even in that one moment where I wanted to come to Aria's defense and to Emma's defense, and I wanted to be the person to put those kids in their place and to, to tell their mom how she was a terrible parent for letting her, her kids treat kids, other kids that way, Aria showed me that they matter too. Everybody matters. When you live your life out of control, you live your life in such a way where everybody matters. Black, white, yellow, doesn't matter. Everybody matters. Tall, skinny, short, fat, doesn't matter. Everybody matters. Treat people that way. 
because that's how Jesus treats people. Let's pray, and then I think Taco or some, somebody's going to come up here. Father, help us to live out of control. Help us to love without boundaries. Help us to care about people. Help us to not give in to the obstacles, to the resistance, to things that are hard. Help us to trust you to go right, to go left, to whatever it is, whatever we're sensing you doing in our life. Help us to just say yes. Okay, God, yes, I'm going to do this. Doesn't make any sense. Don't know how it's going to work out. Don't know how you're going to provide for it, but I'm going to do it because I trust you and I know that you love me and I know that you want what's best for me. Help us to live our life completely out of control. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, I I don't know if I'm going to see all of you a whole lot tomorrow after the rally, but I've had a great time getting to know you guys this week. And thank you for letting me be here. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.